the director of ministries here now, director of programs and ministries, which uh, this means I have the privilege of being uh, a part of lots of the discussions that go on here at the Advent. It's uh, I've been here for 20, I'm not good at math, 23 years, I guess, so I've uh, become the dust, known some of y'all for a long time. Good to see you, Emery. Well, um, I was the youth job? minister here. Um, came in 1993 from Sewanee, where I did my undergraduate work. And uh, and I've become the dust here, unfortunately. But, um, it's been well, a, a real privilege. So, uh, I don't try to keep up with those sorts of things anymore. Take one of these and pass it around. And let's begin with a prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for this day, the day that you have made, and for the grace which you've uh, so freely bestowed upon us. Now, Lord, I pray that you would uh, hide me behind your word. Uh, help us uh, now as we think about the shoulders that we stand upon, um, whatever it means to be Anglican, as we consider uh, history as your story um, and the tradition that we're a part of, Lord, let us not lose sight of the main thing of, uh, of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, we do ask now that you would be with us here in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is a special treat to be um, to be here today, I, didn't, I haven't taught much. I haven't taught all of Lent because we had a, a, sort of a full rota, and so it's something I've been looking forward to very much. I love teaching the newcomers class. Uh, I do hope that folks will um, just interrupt. That's the style I like the most. This is not, in 30 minutes, a comprehensive. I hope it's not boring. It's not a comprehensive uh, overview. I, what, what, I can't even remember what the, the title was listed. Um, Anglican history and theology or something like that. I mean, that's a yawner, isn't it? Um, uh, I hope not to um, inundate us with dates and long names or other things that aren't very uh, exciting or enlivening. But I do, as I was just talking to Libby a few minutes ago, there's a, there's a great phrase out of Jude. If you're going to memorize a book of the Bible, I might recommend Jude. It's so short that there's no chapters. And so when you just say Jude 3... It's not that you're talking about Jude chapter 3. There's just the letter of Jude, and I think there's about 16 verses, and so the third verse in Jude talks about uh, contending for the faith once delivered to all the saints. And that's a phrase that would well represent the Advent and how it likes to think about itself vis-a-vis -vis or in relation to inside of um, the Anglican tradition, the Anglican theology, the Anglican history, whatever that means, that it's, uh, it's not ultimate. You might say it's penultimate. There's a big you know, nickel word. Uh, it means the second to the last thing. To be Anglican is not the last thing. We're Christians, uh, and we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before, uh, uh, and we contend. We hold forth. We seek to preach and teach and embody the faith that's once delivered to all the saints, and through that faith to let it work itself out in love, um, in love to one another in the community of the Advent, as well as the, the love for our neighbor, whether it's our neighbor that's physically next door to us in our homes, um, or across town from us in Birmingham, or on the other side of the world in Australia, as Philip Jensen is with us. So the faith once delivered for all the saints is a nice way to think about the Anglican tradition. Um, and you can probably tell from the way I'm talking, this is wildly unscripted, <laughs> so do interrupt anytime um, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and help keep me on point. 
So it would help me a little bit. Um, uh, I don't want to ask everybody to go around and say their name, but maybe I do, because I'd love to know you all. Um, without any sort of uh, formality, we don't need to go counterclockwise or anything like that, or clockwise, uh, just what, what familiarity do you all have with Anglican? That's a, that's a word. It comes from the Angles. Um, the Anglo-Saxon, you probably heard that uh, when England was populated uh, by uh, the marauding horde from uh, what's presently Belgium and northern Germany and that sort. Those were the Anglos and the Saxons that came across into England. Uh, and so the, the word Anglicanism comes from that uh, as England... You can even hear the word Angle England in there. Uh, the Anglicanism uh, has its roots in England. Um, Anglicanism was the, the tradition which began in the Church of England long before even the Reformation. Um, I think, now you're pressing my memory, but even in the third century when there was a meeting of bishops, three bishops from England even made the trip probably to North Africa or to Italy uh, for one of the councils. And so it's been a Christian nation. There's been... There's been Christians in England for a long time, long before uh, well, we'll get to Henry VIII and that sort of thing. Um, but that's what Anglican means. It's just of England, um, the, the religious tradition, the Christian tradition that's related to, uh, to England. And then as England, of course, was a colonial empire, it spread throughout the world. Um, and that's Anglicanism. So what, what familiarity do y'all have with... Anglicanism. Uh, if you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian, um, you'd have a lot of overlap there. Some of y'all may be coming from other Episcopal churches. Um, some may not have any affiliation that whatsoever. Would help me know kind of what familiarity we have with with uh, with Anglicanism. Anybody want to pop out? Yeah, I would. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just tradition and reform. Okay. So Anglicanism has an emphasis on tradition, and it's uh, it's one of the reformed traditions. That's fair. We'll talk, certainly talk about that. One of the the central aspects of Anglicanism is certainly each of those: a tradition and reformed, an ancient tradition um, and a reformed tradition. What else? Either personally or what you associate with Anglicanism. <laughs> you got nothing now. Tommy took what you were going to do. Tommy took what you were going to do. Verbatim. That's right. I knew what he was going to say. Okay. Um, what about, Gil, what about denominations that they come from that maybe they have heard sure. Anglicanism sure, sure. before? Um, what if, what if everybody just goes around and says what denomination or non-denomination that you're familiar with, and so therefore that'll kind of give us a feel for yeah, that'll be helpful. And then I'll start prattling on. So, <laughs> um, if you're comfortable saying that, some of y'all may not have been baptized as a child or may not be coming from a denomination. That's that's fantastic that you're here. But if you grew up in an Episcopal church or an Anglican church or a Catholic church, um, maybe just say some of that. So. I'm Mary Bradley. We've been um, members here for a long time. I just wanted to hear Gil talk about them. Um, <laughs> Your yawning title actually yeah. is interesting. Oh, well, good. It's because you're a boring man, yeah, Frank. Yeah. We, like, we like it when Gil teaches, so we go hear him. Um, I, grew up, I grew up Catholic, actually. So, um, But Frank and I joined the Advent in 2009, I think. Um, and so um, I maybe didn't have the most favorable 
um, perspective, but it certainly has changed over the years. Okay, thanks. And I grew up Presbyterian. I'm praying. Um, and when I think of the Anglican Communion today, I mean uh-huh. that, that might be something to kind of talk about the Anglican Anglican Communion sure. as a whole, and then sort of the what subsets fall okay. underneath that. I'll try know. to do that. And what's the difference with Anglicanism and Episcopalianism? Okay, I'll try to do that. That's, that's helpful. Um, especially we have Philip Jensen here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Tommy. Yeah, I'm Tommy, and um, I grew up Presbyterian, and also kind of at the same time Baptist. Two different sides of the family. I was kind of going to both. Both of those are very related to Anglicanism, in fact. Um, had their origins in some ways in Anglican. So. Uh, Chris Weingartner grew up Presbyterian as well. Okay. Uh, what would be interesting to me is just understanding the, the church's internal governance. I mean, obviously, that's sort of the, the Presbyterian thing committee. Sure, sure, sure. Session mm-hmm. and yep. Your dad's a Presbyterian minister. Right. So <laughs> yeah. you, you know He's going to grill you on it. Yeah. So. <laughs> And, he, and he's going to be disappointed. Rachel Weingartner, I grew up um, Methodist at Highlands County Methodist, um, but went to Advent of a school day school. Oh, so good. I'm familiar with going every Wednesday to Oh, cool. Chapel. Yeah. And you're still coming back. Yes, I love it. It's nice to have a familiar place to come back. That's great, Rachel. Uh, my name is Gordon Ratliff. Um, I grew up non-denominational. Great. It's good to see you. Talk amongst yourselves. Like we're on the dating game <laughs> or the newlywed game. Yeah, Frank is also here. We're excited about that. Frank Luck, and I saw Thornton Everett coming Presbyterian. Way to pitch in for him, Frank. <laughs> I got a really low level of English knowledge. All right, well, good. I'm feeling the pressure go up, but I got to I got to produce here in a minute. So. Great. Thank you. I'm William. Uh, I grew up Methodist uh, and then married in a Great. Great. Here you okay. are. <laughs> um, I'm Lynn Andrews. Grew up in the Methodist Church because my mother, but my father was Episcopalian. So as an adult, I completely embrace the Episcopal Church now. Okay. Great. Good to see you again, Lynn. And I'm Kurt Indeed. It's a real treat. If you've never had a chance to teach with your mother-in-law in the room, it's a real treat. I can say this on record. Um, Kirk is, is uh, thank you. You're just so dear to me. Um, my name is Tim Anderson. Um, I grew up in the church. Oh, fantastic. Isn't that great? I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> it's good to see you, Tim. Literally in the church in England. Yeah. Yeah, church in England and church of England. So. Thank you, Tim. Sure, sure, that's okay. Well, good. Well, it's good to have you all here. Indeed, it'd be very different. So, what part of England? 
We, we lived in uh, just outside London near where Wimbledon Tennis is playing. Mm. Mm. Sure, sure, of course. Uh, sort of southwest part of London. Great. And quite a few of us would be surprised if we walked in, there'd be no pews, um, there'd be no altar. That, yep. 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 Right. So right. You have a real perspective. So to come back to Psalms, I think people have rejected a lot of tradition for not knowing quite why they have rejected that. So Indeed. That'd be something we talk about. Mm-hmm. Lord willing. So mm-hmm. thank you, Jane. Very much. Glad y'all are here. My name is Mary Ann Michael and I'm a Southern Baptist and so January thirty first when I was confirmed here. So Amen. I'm still learning a lot. It's good to see you, Mary Ann. Indeed. So so glad you're here. I'm Barry. I grew up in the Methodist Church, and then once we got married, we went to the Presbyterian Church for probably 10 years, for 10 years. Right. Thank you, Barry. Mm-hmm. I'm Kelly Alford, and I grew up Southern Baptist, and he was Methodist, so when we moved to Birmingham after medical school, we joined uh, PCA Presbyterian. Good. And, uh, yeah, we're here. Thank you. And I'm Tom, and I belong to her. Indeed. Good. That's a nice claim to fame. <laughs> coffee, you want to introduce yourself? My name is Coffee Paul, and I'm kind of a rare agent here. Indeed. About 76 years ago this month, I was baptized in this church, so I'm not wow. only a cradle Episcopalian, I'm a cradle Adventist. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's interesting to me, hearing everybody, I, I did this some years ago, we have what that great denominational group is called Methodacterial. That's, that's an impression for my old choir director. Those of you who are from the Roman Catholic tradition will find yourself very comfortable here. The Methodists will find yourselves almost as comfortable as the Roman Catholics. And the rest of us, it's going to be our fun to show you what we're really about here. Thank you. Quickly, I, like Mary Ann, was confirmed on January 31st as well. I grew up a Baptist, <coughs> married a gentleman, young man who wanted to be with the Methodist Church at school where we were at the University of Alabama. And then he um, decided when we got, he made all the decisions. We got to Birmingham, <laughs> we joined the Methodist Church downtown. We gravitated over to, um, oh my gosh, there were so many in between there. And then we finally wound up like it. 44 years old at uh, PCA. And then here. Thank you, Libby. Thank you all. That does help me kind of get a root in, uh, in how to steer the next 20 minutes or so. Um, uh, Anglican, the Anglican tradition is a vibrant tradition, um, as most probably know. I don't want to assume anything. It did start in the Reformation, as the Reformation was beginning. Prim- started in Germany in the second generation uh, which would be, which would include what was happening in England, 
uh, as Martin Luther was the first generation, and then John Calvin in Geneva, and then over in England, starting in 1534, when Henry VIII um, declared through the Act of Supremacy that the church in England uh, was now the Church of England, uh, and separate from Rome, uh, it was on its track then to be something different and other. And then, uh, just conversationally, a lot of people will, you'll hear this trope a lot. A trope is just a repeated phrase that uh, if you say it loud enough and often enough, it becomes true. It's um, supposed to be funny. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's certainly it, it's a. Uh, it's there. You've probably heard that the uh, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, started because of uh, the lust of Henry the um, That's that's unfair. I mean, it's it's there, but it's it's not true. Um, it started in Henry the somewhat maniacal quest for stability, coming out of the War of the Roses, a very unstable 150-year history in the late. Uh, 14th and 15th and early 16th centuries, uh, the ruler, the, uh, uh, the, the, the greatest concern for a monarch is stability. Um, how will my uh, kingdom maintain stability after I'm gone? That pressed onto Henry in a, in, in, with increasing force as he married Catherine of Aragon first. And it was a happy marriage by all accounts, which is very unusual, where they actually loved one another. It was an arranged marriage, and they actually loved one another. They were married for, for well over 20 years. But Catherine had a, uh, a succession of miscarriages. I think she miscarried seven times and did have one living child, the one uh, Mary, who became Bloody Mary, um, as history would know her. I didn't, I didn't go into this because we're not going to get through any part of this. Um, uh, when Catherine turned 40, um, uh, then, and even now to a different degree, but then uh, recognized past the age of childbearing years, Henry started to uh, feel the weight of stability. How am I going to uh, prevent England from sliding back into a very divisive, and bloody conflict again, like his father and grandfather just emerged from. Uh, and so he uh, began to seek an annulment, not quite a divorce, but an annulment from Catherine, uh, because his lust, certainly um, marriage wasn't then what it is now. You might say um, a king's lust could be sated uh, fairly easily, and it probably was in other ways. It wasn't so much that he had to divorce or annul his marriage with Catherine in order to uh, to satisfy his, his sexual urges, um, but he did need to annul the marriage in order to uh, provide for a succession. And so, so began the uh, the English Reformation um, through Henry VIII's. Uh, I would even say that word, maniacal desire, maniacal drive, better, to uh, provide for stability in his kingdom. And then uh, began the succession of six wives uh, and three children, Mary, and then the short uh, reign of Edward, and then the long reign of Elizabeth. And so strangely enough, uh, without a male heir, with, his, uh, his, uh, with one of his children, Elizabeth, who reigned for some 43 years, him and Jane, y'all may know this top of your head. Um, uh, a long and stable reign, the Pax Elizabeth, uh, the, the reign of Elizabeth was known as a reign of peace. 
uh, and and that's when the the Church of England uh, really made its place. And then from the Church in England came a good part of Presbyterianism. Of course, the Reformed Church under John Calvin over on the continent uh, was a, uh, a significant influence in that. But Presbyterianism as a form uh, also took strong root in in England, and then also the Methodist Church under John Wesley, who was an ordained Anglican minister. Uh, the Baptist churches, most people are surprised by that, started in the dissenting church, uh, along with the Puritans, um, out of the Church of England. So a lot of the Protestant churches that each of you come from uh, uh, in your roots started, in fact, within the Anglican tradition. And so I have up in the top of your handout six aspects. This is from a nice little book that we have in our store by John Howe, retired bishop of, um, gosh, which part of Florida? Of uh, I think of Florida, um, called Our Anglican Heritage. He has these aspects also as his chapter titles. Um, um, six aspects of Anglicanism. Uh, it's ancient, it's Reformed and Protestant, it's biblical, it's evangelical, it's Catholic, and it's worshiping. What I hope to do is just run through these very, very quickly and very briefly with a couple of minutes maybe to address Anglican, Episcopal, and some of the other things that we talked about. So when we say the Anglican tradition, the Anglican history is ancient, what do we mean? We can say a lot of things. Um, the Anglican Church is not the church of what's happening now. It's not the church of what you've done for me lately. It, uh, it does. It stands on the shoulders of generations that have gone long before. Like I mentioned out of Jude, uh, it's a church that stands on the shoulders of the faith that once was delivered for all of the saints. The scriptural tradition. A man named Yaroslav Pelikan coined a great truism that tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. I found that to be very helpful. If the Anglican tradition do, is done well, let's talk about the Advent. If the Advent is represented, is, is, is being faithfully responsive to the gospel. It is representing well the living tradition, the living faith of the dead, the living faith of the risen Christ, who's not dead, but then of the Apostle Paul, of St. Augustine, of John Bunyan, of, uh, of Martin Luther, of John Calvin, of, uh, of Mother Angelica who just died two weeks ago. Um, the living faith of the dead. That's the tradition. Traditionalism, uh, it's always been done that way, so we're just going to keep doing it. Um, we light candles because that's what we do. Um, traditionalism, the dead faith of the living, where we keep doing the same old thing just because it's always been done that way. and We really don't know why. There's no purpose or meaning or enlivening aspect of a faith once that's contended for all the saints. Um, we want to say by no means, um, to borrow a phrase. Uh, so that's what it means that the Anglican tradition, the Anglican church, is an ancient church. It's a church that knows its history. Um, it's a church that continues to say, to, to, to have the ears to hear um, uh, the words of Christ that says, This is who you are. You are my bride, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Um, uh, I am the Lord your God, the Alpha and the Omega, as we heard today. That's tradition. That's the Anglican tradition. It's ancient. It's not now. It's not, it's not the church of, of, of new, just for the sake of new. Now, all things are being made new at the same time as it stands in the, uh, 
in the, the old. Does that make sense? Um, and then we can also say the Anglican tradition is Reformed and Protestant. Um, the Anglican Church, as I mentioned in, in talking about the, uh, the 16th century with Henry VIII and others, it's a, uh, it's a Reformed and Protestant church. It's, uh, uh, what does that mean? Um, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, it, it stands in the, what's sometimes called the five Reformation solas. Um, some of you all may know this, especially if you're in the Presbyterian tradition where each of these um, emerged, and they were sort of codified. Um, historians have put these together. But in other writings that emerged from the Reformation, from several different branches, the Anglican, the Lutheran, and the Calvin, uh, uh, and Calvin's Reformation, uh, solas emerged, the Latin word for only. Um, sola gratia, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, and... Um, I've lost the other one. What is it? Uh, uh, Christ alone. Thank you very much. Um, uh, each of those, uh, in relation to other things, just to pick one, for instance, it's not faith and works which justify. Um, in the context of the 16th century Catholic Church, that was part of, of, uh, of the, the, the theology at the time. And they said, no, by no means. It's faith alone which justifies. It's not Christ and Mary uh, who will give you access to everlasting life, Christ and the saints interceding for your dead father. Um, the reformers would want to say, no, it's Christ alone and his work alone which grants us uh, the keys to the kingdom of everlasting life. And so the alones came into the context of, of, uh, of the Reformation in the 16th and early 17th century. And Anglicanism stands with that. Um, so in that sense, you would say it's a Reformed church. Um, it's also a Protestant church, uh, where you would say, um, as somebody else once said, we're Lutheran, um, the theology of... Is this... this it's my, nah, I don't want to say it. Um, so we're Reformed and we're Protestant. Uh, uh, what we... Um, you'll hear this sometimes, another trope, that the Anglican, the Episcopal Church in particular... Uh, we love to throw around Latin. Lex orandi, lex credendi. What we pray is what we believe. You'll hear that sometimes because of the emphasis on worship. Um, well, that's not true. That's a trope. Historically, it's not true. You know, some forms of, of the Anglican tradition now, the Anglican Church or the Episcopal Church in particular may do that. Well, we just we sort of make it up as we go, and whatever we pray, that's what we believe. The Reformed and Protestant roots of Anglican would say, no, that's not true. Because we have our sense of a, of, a, of a Protestant understanding with a proper emphasis on the living faith of the dead, which leads to our theology and our worship, we would say, no, what we believe is embodied in how we pray. And that would be very much what the Advent believes. And so we make a bridge to where we go on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're a biblical church. Um, you can look on your handout um, where it says this collect for the second Sunday in Advent. One of the architects for the Anglican tradition was Thomas Cramner. It's a name that would be familiar if you hang around the Advent a lot. If for no other reason that we have a satellite location named Cramner House. Um, Thomas Cramner was the Archbishop under Henry VIII. Uh, so he was uh, ordained Roman Catholic, but then when, uh, when uh, under Henry we broke away from the Roman uh, Catholic Church, um, Henry, I mean, I'm sorry, Thomas Cramner became the first Anglican Archbishop. 
Um, and he was responsible, he's primary architect for the Book of Common Prayer, which has been well described as the Bible arranged for worship. He wrote all these collects, which is a fancy word for a prayer which collects, you see that word, just a different emphasis, uh, which collects a theme for a certain Sunday, um, the second Sunday of Advent, which has now been known throughout Protestantism as, the Bi- as Bible Sunday, because that was a time in the church year when Thomas Cramner decided to emphasize the Holy Scripture. And he wrote these words, which well describe the Protestant Reformed Biblical emphasis that the Anglican Church has. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant, so here's the petition, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thomas Cramner uh, knew that we were properly in the passive position. Um, Scripture, it could then be said, as a living word, uh, borrowing from Hebrews, that uh, Scripture is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow, joint from marrow. Uh, That is a living word, not as a dead word, harking back to traditional versus traditionalism. As a traditional word, how do we approach Scripture? We approach Scripture not as interpreters, but as interpretees. Again, a Reformed church, a Protestant church, borrowing from Martin Luther, the chief organ of a Christian, Luther said, is the ear. Why? Because we hear. We hear first. Faith cometh by hearing, and that being hearing the words of Christ, the gospel. Uh, Cramner believed this body and soul. He read, marked, learned, and inwardly digested the Holy Scripture in a way that's unparalleled today. He so digested it that it became a part of who he was. He became what he ate. Um, Hearkening back to Isaiah, eat this scroll, the cherubim said to to Isaiah. Cramner heard that and he ate the word of God. He digested it and he appropriated it and he arranged it for worship in a way that's not been matched. A favorite word of Cramner was, uh, was a lure or woo, that the Holy Scripture, living and active, would woo the heart. It would woo and allure the sin-sick soul. It would, uh, it would do its dual work of convicting of us of our sin, of telling us who we are, that we are creatures in need of a Savior. We are creatures in need of a God. We are like lost sheep that have gone astray uh, and that we needed a shepherd to bring us back into safety. And this is nowhere more... Uh, profoundly captured than by something. This is one reason that we, the Advent, are a prayer book church and a morning prayer church because the confession that said only during morning prayer, which is still, even in the 79 prayer book, almost verbatim, Cramner's arrangement, and that's on the second page. In these short, in the short paragraph, one paragraph, eight short sentences, 16 biblical references. It's almost, it's almost impossible if we sat in this room and said, let's hammer something like this out. And we'll, we'll take a week to do it. We'll take a month to do it. We'll take a year to do it. We couldn't do it. It was a gift of God 
to so read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the whole counsel of God, uh, that all Scripture is written um, uh, for our learning. Uh, Cramner captured this and put it together and arranged it in this confession. Uh, if Here, and I put down below the references, which are roughly in order, uh, Isaiah, Psalms, 1 Peter, Proverbs, Jeremiah, 2 Chronicles, Matthew, Psalms, again, Luke, Psalms, again, Nehemiah, Psalms, again, Romans, 1 John, Titus, and John. Uh, and this is how Cramner wrote it. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. There is no health in us, but thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O Lord, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Anglican Church, Anglican Heritage and History and Theology is, uh, uh, is ancient, it's Reformed, it's Protestant, it's infinitely biblical. Um, as we pray, uh, we pray the Bible. Um, almost all of the words which we pray in our liturgy, that's a fancy word which just means the order of service, it literally means the work on the people. Um, it's sometimes translated, you'll hear the work of the people. That's not quite right. It, that, that can be, but it only after the first work, again, we're in the passive position, that it's the work of the Word, living and active outside of us, the alien righteousness, and the alien work of the Word, uh, working on us, the work on the people, then emerges this... Uh, ordered prayer uh, of what we call our liturgy, moving from the acclamation to the collect for purity, which is also there, to the hearing of the Word of God. We sometimes divide the Holy Communion between the ministry of the Word and then the ministry of the sacrament, the two marks of the church, uh, where again the Word is placed in us, in our mouth, so the Word is very near you, Paul would say again in Romans 10, and it's placed on our tongue in the form of the host, the bread, I am the bread of life, and now it's on us. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was Christ who dwelled among us. And so all that's the Reformed Protestant biblical nature of the Anglican Church, the Bible, the living faith of the dead, arranged for our worship, for our hearts to be surely there fixed. So, it's also... Um, oh, Evangelical, Catholic, and worshiping. Some of those I've touched on, the bell's toll. Evangelical, in the sense of the euangelion, the good news um, of the gospel. It's evangelical, not in the political sense, that's how that word is usually heard now, but in the sense that um, it's personal. It comes to each heart, and it ministers to each one of us as, as the one sheep who's wandered away from the ninety-nine. And we're Catholic in the old sense. You can almost see the word whole in there. H-O-L-I-C, like holism. That's what it means. Catholic, um, 
uh, in that sense, like we say in the creeds, means the whole church, the universal church, all Christians, in other words. We're a Catholic church, um, which is why we say in our invitation to communion, all baptized Christians, uh, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, are welcome at the <laughs> Lord's table. This is not the Advent's table. Um, it's not for Episcopalians only. We try to lower the gate and say it's for all of God's church, his body, gathered. And we're a worshiping church, um, largely through Cramner's architecture, uh, but uh, with the biblical, with the Bible arranged, we now having this faith placed in our mouth, uh, as Paul would say in Galatians, and I'll stop here, this faith now works itself out in love, as we love God in response to his first love of us, that looks like worship. And then we begin to worship together. And that's the community of the saints for which uh, Christ died. So there's Anglican history and theology in a wayward move. So. Can you give a 30-second answer to what are the relationships between the Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church? So the Episcopal Church in the United States of America, its full name is the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States of America, uh, is one of 36 or 37 provinces within the Anglican Communion. Um, and so there are 37 provinces, basically like a federation, be the best political analogy, where there are 37 other sort of states, which you call Anglican provinces. The, uh, uh, England is one, or Britain, United Kingdom is one, uh, Canada, the United States, the Southern Cone, Rwanda, Australia, um, where Philip Jensen is from. Each of those then have an archbishop, or the first among equals. Uh, and so the Episcopal Church is one of 37 provinces within the federation known as the Anglican Communion. So it's, a ge it's only geography? It's geography. The, the Anglican Communion right now, that could, be, that could be changing. That's actually a really important and big question. Right now it's geographic. What um, are the other names? What are some of the other names? Um... Uh, the Anglican Church in Rwanda, the Anglican Church, the the Anglican Church in Australia, the I think it's the Anglican Church of Canada. Um, so Episcopal is a Greek word for bishop. So when you read in in the New Testament, if you read Greek, you'd see the word episkopos, um, which is typically translated overseer. It can also be translated, and it was in the Vulgate, uh, bishop. Um, that just means that we're a hierarchical church, that we're a church of bishops. That's what that means, which is the contrast to the Presbyterian form of governance uh, where it's, uh, it's a synod, synodical structure. Um, and so we're, we have a bishop structure, which is so why we're called there Episcopal. Anglican churches in the United States? I mean, I feel like I might drive down the street. Sure. Like that's the Anglican there, church. There is now. Church. That's like what Mary Bradley was saying. It was geographical, and it's changing. Right now, it's not recognized amongst the whole communion, but right now there are some what are called continuing Anglican churches over the authority of Scripture, uh, where now there are some non... They're, they're overlapping geographical questions. Right. Is there, there is the Episcopal Church, which historically, that just means in the last 300 years, has been the only Anglican church in the United States of America. Now there are other Anglican congregations and other Anglican structures which are increasingly being recognized by the rest of the Anglican communion. So you're going to have two uh, 
two nations occupying, to, to borrow, this is a metaphor, two nations occupying the same geography that might be a part of the same federation. But they're outside the governance of the Episcopal Church. That are outside the governance of the Episcopal Church, but would equally be recognized as having a seat at the federation. So again, that, so, that'd be like St. Peter's, um, uh, some others. So I'm happy to answer those questions. Afterwards, so let me pray in case you need to pick up children or get there. I'm sorry if it's so rushed, but it's a privilege. So, gracious Father, for the faith once delivered for all the saints, um, we thank you that you now um, contend for each one of us um, as sheep to be brought back into your fold, as sinners of your redeeming, as uh, as beloved children of, uh, through your Son. Um, be with us now uh, in this week. Carry us forward. Um, uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.